and gentlemen, I'm your DJ. Mickey the Kid. Excuse me, what happened if you mash this button? I'm no meteorologist, but I'm pretty sure it's raining bitches. Mickey the Kid. On one hot summer day, an engineer came into the control room wearing nothing but a pair of bathing trunks. This was the result. A Philippine Airlines pass. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, back to world, 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 world famous. Oh, yeah. Here we go. talking about right there <laughs> middle of the week little wednesday a fun factory getting it on getting it going hopefully you uh finished out your day strong kicked ass took a few names maybe cut some throats i don't know what you got going on over there hope it's good though hope you got some good shit going on it is uh, Let It Rip with yours truly, Mickey the Kid. You want to call the show? 323-374-3855. Um, been having fun doing this thing. You know, this is uh, this is something that, for me, you know, having been in the radio industry for 20 years, that this is my passion. You know, it's my flavor of art. And I'm just a casual observer of life, you know, and I, each and every one of us have a story. And for me, this is kind of like the uh, the comeback story. I don't know. I wouldn't say exactly zero to hero, but, you know, on some levels, it was kind of zero to hero. It was more like fear and loathing. <clears throat> Truly was fear and loathing. Actually, the more I think about it, it was pretty wild. You know, take you down that road. If you want to know my story, you know, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Grew up in a weird, wild time. You know, being born in 1970, um, just a different, just a totally different era of everything. You know, I, I remember, you know, when you could stay out past eight or nine o'clock at night and your parents weren't really worried about it. You know, now you everybody thinks that, you know, they're checking the National Pedophile Registry to make sure to find out who's living in their neighborhood. We didn't have a lot of that shit going on in my neighborhood. You know, we were just, uh, what do you get? I guess you'd say we were su suburban, but I, I wasn't silver spoon in my mouth suburban, you know, or rich family suburban. I was this kid that lived down the west side of Cleveland, you know, that was, uh, it was actually Parma. It's the same city that Drew Carey's from. You watch The Price is Right or the Drew Carey show. You know, um, 
and and times are different. You know, you could be out on your bicycle at, you know, 1980. You could be out on your bicycle. You know, your parents wanted you home when the streetlights kind of went out. You know, because they knew that if you were out past dark, you were probably doing some stupid stuff. You know, getting yourself into trouble. And we did. They, they were 100% right. And maybe that's because, uh, <laughs> you know, they did what we did. But, you know, uh, uh, down that, that road... You know, growing up, and I don't know if you've ever grown up in a alcoholic home. You know, because at the time, my dad, you know, he's he was a Vietnam veteran, um, great guy, great father. So when my dad was sober, he was the greatest guy on the planet. Uh, when he wasn't sober, he was not so great, and that runs in the family. So. You know, there was a lot of lot of physical stuff I saw and experienced, you know, from a young age. And it was kind of like the norm. <clears throat> Where today it's, you know, considered abuse and par- parents are going off to jail. You know, so you, you take enough of that, and you know, you know, mix that in with, you know, I was locked up for two and a half years or two years of my life from the time I was uh, 14 to 16. They sent me to Father Jabal's school for boys in Terre Haute, Indiana. Same place that they uh, housed Charles Manson until he was, I think, 20, something like that. So, um, you know, went down that road and, uh, you know, and then had to fight my way through that. And I was a runt. I was, a you know, this little kid, you know, and, and I, I had a loud mouth. I had a big mouth. This thing, this thing hasn't, hasn't really not been big my whole life. So... You know, so so when when you get into these type of things, you know that that's where I was in my life. You know, and my mom wasn't much one to really care about much. You know, she was kind of like a manic depressive. My dad was a, an abusive alcoholic at the time, and uh, man, you just you just you t- took your lumps and you just kept moving and shaking, and then being locked up. You know, you got to experience whole other form of you know abuse. And at this place, at this Father Jabal School for Boys, man, they, they had really unique and unusual ways to punish these young kids, these teenagers, I, me being one of them. And I don't know if you ever saw the, the movie Sleepers with, like, Kevin Bacon and uh, who else was in that movie? Man, there was a lot of great people in that movie. But I think it starts out with Brad Renfro, Brad Pitt, and they wind up, one becomes an attorney, the other one becomes this, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of shit, and there's a girl involved. But they talk about how they were trying to shut down these guys, and they wanted to, you know, get some one guy kills the the one guy that was in the, in a was a CO there, <clears throat> which was Kevin Bacon, and that's what it was. They were they were trying to get the guy off for killing Kevin Bacon, who you know sodomized these kids, and uh, I didn't experience the sodomy end of things, but uh, you know I experienced some really cruel and unusual punishment. Some of the stuff, like, I can remember disciplines they would do is they would lock you in a, a about a four-by-six area, you know, a bathroom, which basically just had a sink and a toilet in it. It was four-by-six, and they would lock the door so you couldn't get out, and they would put down one full bottle of Bo Peep ammonia. And if you know anything about Bo Peep ammonia, it will suck the oxygen right out of your lungs. And, uh, so I endured that 
kind of punishment. There would be late night things. They would keep you up, like holding books. They would exercise you until you couldn't sit still or until you could, couldn't even stand up straight. I mean, there was a, there was a, lot, of, a lot of very cruel abuse that went on uh, in these places. You know, and, and I, I probably, back in, the, back in the day, you know, I, I wanted to start a, a, a class action lawsuit or something like that against someplace like that because I, 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 I can't imagine and I hope that that school has, has changed its policies on uh, behavior correction. Um, because that's that's some shit that'll fuck people up, you know. That's that's fucking kid. That that'll fuck a kid up, and so that going down that road, and this is the fear and loathing part, you know. So I carry all this this abuse and this other shit in into the next level of of my life, which is, is starting to be my late teens and into my early adult life, and uh, you know, wound up getting myself in in more trouble, wound up doing, you know, getting into getting into drugs. You know, but not like really hard drugs, you know, smoking a little pot, you know, maybe take some some acid, um, you know, was drinking, you know, and, the, and then this led into my adult years. And, uh, you know, and then I bounced between my dad and my mom. My dad had moved to Florida, you know, so I was down here. Then I moved back there and then then I signed up for the Navy and then went into the Gulf War. Got out of there, you know, was playing semi pro football and then found my way into this illustrious career of of broadcast radio on in and it, and of course i picked the worst kind of broadcast radio actually it was the best kind to me but it was the worst kind if you had any kind of ego or insecurity you know inferiority or complexes and that's what i was it was an egomaniac with an inferiority complex during this this time in my young 20s into my 30s and you know if you know anything about that is is you know you think you're the, the uh you think you're the shit, but your self-esteem is lower than whale shit. And you want everybody to accept you and everybody to, you know, take you into your, their life and everything else. Hey, Christopher, can you bring me over that drink right there, buddy, on the table? So uh, that's my nephew, Christopher. Yeah, he's, he's a little gamer. I'll just give you a quick shot of him. He's sitting on the couch over here. Yeah, he's hiding behind the screen, but there he is. He's, he's hanging out, playing video games on his phone. So anyway... got to keep the whistle wet so anyway um i digress so you know i come back from there and then and you know i wanted to be an actor and and then i was in a movie called telling lies in america with kevin bacon and brad renfro and then uh i did you know some modeling you know i was doing anything i could to be accepted i was trying to get in any f- fucking I was trying to get into a river. I was just trying to find a river where I fit in. You know, I was trying to get in where I fit in. I had no idea where I fit in, you know, because I was a runt when I was a kid. When I got into high school, I played football and did all that stuff. I was wrestling in junior high. You know, I, I thought I wanted to fit in with the sports guys, but I knew I was more of an entertainer. And uh, I knew I liked the entertainment industry more than, <clears throat> well, it's equal to. I think it's equal that, uh, to the sports industry. But, you know, I'm only five foot ten, and, uh, you know, you can only do so much with that with that height uh, back in the day, you know. So, you know, I went to, I went down the different road and then I wound up getting into this radio career in uh, right around. It became a career in 1997 when I uh, joined a, a morning show and um, and I had talent. I became uh, like a bit writer, a comedy bit writer. And the people I hung out with, well, they like to drink as much as I did. So 
I hung out with them. And I can't tell you the ridiculous shit that went on during that time in 1997. I mean, I remember being at this fucking party. And uh, it was a couple of guys from the radio station. They all lived together. And, uh, you know, I was one of their guys. So I came down to their house, and they lived down by Rocky River in Cleveland, if you know the area. If you don't know the area, look it up. Google that shit, Rocky River, Ohio, or Cleveland, Ohio. You'll find out where it is. And they lived right down by this, like, boat area. And uh, they threw this fucking kegger, this rager. And uh, somebody brought a nitrous tank to the to the party. And, and if you've uh, never experienced nitrous oxide, well, uh, it's a, it's one hell of a, one hell of a high, buzz, whatever you want to call it. And they were filling up these balloons, and I, these weren't just like little party balloons, like you know you see at uh, little Kimmy's birthday party or some shit like that. These are ginormous, like circus event balloons, and they're filling these thing up. And people are they're charging other people five dollars, like other people that just randomly on the block came by. Like I'm like we're serving fucking nitrous. It's 1997. We're serving nitrous. Nitrous balloons in a, at a fucking keg party in the neighborhood. And neighborhood people are coming by. I'll take two, two of the nitrous balloons. So this one dude, uh, he, he did like three balloons in a row. And I don't know how, I, don't, I knew nothing about the effects of what nitrous did to the brain or anything. So this dude's doing like three of them. And all of a sudden he's just sitting there and he's standing there and he's like shaking. And he turns and he runs towards this shingle, you know, cedar shingle house. And he hits that. He runs into it face first. I, I think he was in some sort of blackout. I think he fished out, right? So I'm looking at him. His face is mangled. And I'm like, holy. Like, I had never seen anything like that because this is my first time doing nitrous balloons. And I would just do it until you got that, hey, how you doing? You're talking like this. And everything seems real weird. And, you know, and this dude just did, like, three balloons back to back to back, like, some Herculean savage that was dropped out of the, the universe to do nitrous balloons. And uh, and he, he does three of these things and just stands there and just, like, starts shaking and then just turns and runs face first into this. So he gets up, and there's just mangled cuts and, like, shingle, little shingle slivers in his face. And I'm just like, this is the most craziest shit I had ever seen in my life. And this is my first introduction into the radio industry, mind you. First real party I was introduced to. So I've been in the radio industry since 1995. Excuse me. And uh, so then you go on. I went through my career. And uh, my God, some of the decadence, you know, some of it I can't say because there's just, you know, people who I try. I have to protect people in the in the music industry, <laughs> most importantly, that, uh, you know, I don't want to drop their names. But I, I can say that uh, some of the some of my very close friends at the time were in the music industry and very well-known rock stars at the time and had several, several hits. Many of their songs were featured in action movies. And uh, we did an enormous amount of cocaine. And, uh, and, and here's the thing that was, this is the fear and loathing, like, this is before radio became a business. It turned into a business eventually, and uh, and syndication was everything. You know, is now everything, and they just pump shit in, and they don't even harvest local talent. Hardly, rarely, ever. Um, you know, and if they do, they underpay the shit out of them. So, so anyway, it was socially acceptable 
to do uncanny amounts of of cocaine and drinking, especially with like record industry representatives, um, you know, rock stars. This so this one rock star that I was friends with. Every time he, well, I was living in Dallas, Texas, and every time he came into Dallas, he was like, "Hey, Mick, can you can you get me some coke?" And I would be like, "Duh, of course." Let me contact the guy. And the guy was actually a guy who was a sales guy at the radio station I had happened to work at. And he was like a top sales cat there. And uh, and so, you know, I would tell this guy and he would, you know, and I would say I need a quarter ounce for this dude. You know, if he's a notable figure, he's going to be at this place tonight with Kiss and uh, Aerosmith. And uh, man, and, and, and it was just and it was just crazy, man. And I, and I got into that whole mindset, you know, because I, I had no idea who I was. I was just, I was still, and I wish I would have had a guy like me, the me, the me now, the, back when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, to, to tell me what, you know, the, what this was good, what the end of outcome of, of this was all going to be. Because, you know, it leads you to a completely different role, road that, that you were expecting to travel. So, um, so anyway, this rock star and I, uh, we get down, we party, we're drinking all night, doing Jaeger bombs, yada, yada, yada. Then I'm hanging out with, you know, a couple weeks later, I'm hanging out with Willie Nelson smoking pot at, uh, I forget where the hell we were. We were at the Texas, uh, it's like a Lone, Lone Star Stadium. It was um, was a horse track that Willie was playing at. And uh, I was good friends with a friend of his, or, or a guitar player, who has since passed, Joey Floyd. Joey also played guitar for Toby Keith and Willie Nelson. He was also in the Yellow Rose of Texas with Willie Nelson as a little boy. And uh, Joey and I became super great friends. And uh, before my grandmother passed away on my dad's side, uh, my grandmother was a diehard fan of Willie Nelson. And they had come to the Fort Myers area. I knew they were coming to Fort Myers, and I was in Dallas. And um, I told Joey, I said, hey, I know you and Willie are going to Fort Myers. And uh, my grandmother would love nothing more than to probably see. And, and you know, she's not doing so well. She's 83 years old. And, um, you know, if we can make this happen, that would be awesome. So Joey's like, yeah, yep, perfect. I got you, your cousin, you know, set up with tickets for your grandmother. Boom, boom, boom. They pick her up in a golf cart when they get there. They take her right to the side of the stage. She gets a chair on the side of the stage. And uh, and after the show, or during the show, Willie comes over to the side of the stage and he gives my grandmother a kiss. And, uh, and, I, and my cousin at the time had taken a picture, a black and white photo. And I turned that photo into... Uh, a photo I had lost my grandmother that year at December 11th or something like that. She went into the hospital on Thanksgiving of 2004, and I lost her on December 11th of that that month. And I gave that my dad that picture uh, for Christmas, and it you know just knocked his socks off. But anyway, so and and here we go into that year. I had wound up moving out of Dallas and wound up going in 2004. I moved back and moved to the Fort Myers area, and my friend, the rock star. Uh, comes to the air and I'm I'm trying to get sober man you know I mean I'm trying and uh, I'm with my dad you know like that that night I'm sorry Christmas weekend me and my dad were golfing Christmas Eve morning and it, we're, it's like 5 30 6 o'clock in the morning we're on our way to this golf course and I get this phone call and I'm like six o'clock in the morning who the, who's Tennessee you know so I look at my cell phone and I answer it and it's this rock star. And uh, he's like, hey, Mick, man, you got to hear these tracks I got, brother. Man, they are awesome. 
you know, the name of my record is blankety, blankety, blankety. And I said, no shit. And he's playing music. He's like, listen to this. He goes, dude, I've got two trays full of cocaine and these gorgeous bitches. And he's saying this shit. And my dad is like, you know, he's sober maybe a, a, a decade. And he's, you know, I could see he's trying to listen. I'm pressing my phone as hard as I can to my head. You know, it's like, like I don't want any any bleed over to go into, you know, <laughs> out there where he's going to hear it. And then I got to get the the heart to heart with the old man. So, you know, so I said, hey, man, you know, I'll call you back. So I called dude back and he's like, man, if I come, I'm coming to Fort Myers, man. I'm coming to Fort Lauderdale. I'm going to be down there, man. When as soon as this record drops up. So th- that year, I wind up going back to Dallas for the, uh, uh, it was an iHeart radio convention. And there's like fucking Casey Kasem. Hi, I'm Casey Kasem tonight on America's Top 40. We've got a young man. He's fully cocaine. And we're going to play his hit song, shortly. You know, but here's Lionel Richie. Hello. Um, so I see Casey Kasem there. He forgot his fucking cowboy boots. So he's, there's a cowboy boots place inside. Where were we at? The Wyndham in, uh, in downtown Dallas. So he's getting cowboy boots made inside this this Wyndham Hotel, right, which I didn't even know they had Chiligas. And, of course, I rented out this huge ballroom there. And, of course, here comes Brett Michaels, who I'm friends with. Brett's awesome guy. But then I see said rock star. And I go over and say hi to him, just hi to him. And he was... He had handlers at this point. This point they have, he has handlers. And like, they're just trying to protect him to make the next two records that he has left on his contract. And, uh, and they just kind of swoop him away. Like they were like secret service agents, man. They just came in. They said, uh, Mr. So-and-so has to go with us. And uh, thank you very much. And I was like, bro, I'll see you. And he's like, yeah, man. You know, and, and he just, it was, it was really weird. It was really awkward. Uh, cause they were trying to sober him up. And um, and then after a while, this guy, I mean, God, you know, he was this sleek looking, healthy fucking rock star. And he just ballooned into this enormous, you know, he, he looked like Elvis Presley the last, that last time I saw him. I saw, or the next time I saw him, which was in like 2007 with my wife. And uh, we were at a place in Fort Lauderdale and it was uh, this band and Puddle of Mud and some other band. And, um, you know, I was hanging out with Wes and then Dennis Rodman was at this. And, and dude, you just you're just fucking seeing all these people, you know. But in 2007 and seven it was 2007, seven, oh, seven was my my clean date at that time. And. Um, you know, I had had like it was like four months of recovery. And I'm going to a concert and, and I'm going to a concert sober, you know, clean, you know, no, no substances at all. Substance free. And I run into, you know, Mr. Party Animal, Dennis Rodman, who's there. And uh, I've got pictures of all this. And this is why I got to get this. I got to learn this software, this fucking production software, because I could be posting these pictures up, which I should be. And uh, maybe I'll do that at a later day. I'll revisit this whole thing and post pictures. But so you, you're hanging out with Rodman, and Rodman is just knocking back. Like, I don't know what he drinks. I think he drinks like a, I want to see Hennessy. He was drinking like Hennessy and apple juice or something like that. I forget. And smoking a ginormous cigar. It was like a cigar like this long. It's crazy. And uh, had this great time at the show. And then I went to talk to dude after the show, the guy. And uh, he was just like, 
it was almost like it was it was almost like I did we didn't even know each other anymore. This guy was like I don't know if he was opiated out, if he was on opiates at the time, man, but he just was like, Oh, oh hey, yeah. Oh, bro, yeah. And, you know, he was back out there. Now, said rock star uh works for a church. I guess he coordinates music for a church. I think it's somewhere in Alabama or Louisiana or somewhere. Um, and I haven't yet, sp- I haven't spoken to him in probably like three or four years. And that's how I, I found out through Twitter when I looked him up. And, uh, you know, it, it just, so it just goes to show you, you know, that we're, we're the, the fear and loathing of this is, and, and, you know, so I had stayed sober till 2014. And, um, and I, I remember it, it was like December 14th, 2014. And I thought it was going to be, we're going to a, a local Christmas party in the neighborhood we were living in, in Virginia. And I remember going to go get a housewarming gift for this these guys or, you know, a Christmas party, you know, thanks for inviting us gift, you know. So we were going to get them a bottle of wine. And, of course, I, I at the time I had seven years. And um, and this is how convincing, this is how weird addiction is or, or, or alcoholism or whatever you're, you, if you have this issue or know somebody with this issue, is, man, you could have some time clean, right? And... But if you have no gratitude and you're not doing and you're not living right and you, and you, every little thing is is going to compile. You know, if you're not re- have, having good healthy self-talk and you're not having good healthy relationships and you're you're caught up, dude, man, you sp- you can spiral real fast. And here I am. You know, and the greatest liar that we all know is ourselves. You know, I can tell myself, you hear that voice and that voice tells you, "Ah, yeah, man, fuck, you can reward yourself." You know, it's been sober for or clean for seven years. I mean, why, why couldn't you? Of course you can. You just medicated all your past relationships, and I'm telling myself this, right? So I call my wife on the phone, and I said, hey, I'm going to get a pick up a six-pack. She's like, you, do you really think that's a good idea? Except she said, do you really think that's a good fucking idea? And I said, uh, I said and here I come. Here, I, here comes the manipulation, the rationalization, you know, and there I am, you know, just rationalizing of why I should have beer. And, uh, and that beer, that one six-pack of beer, you know, and I told myself I could do controlled drinking, that six-pack of beer, and I, and I tried to hide, keep it in the fridge for, like, a week, but, you know, I think it was gone in, like, two days, you know. I was like, oh, I'm just only going to have a couple. But, they, you know, when they say that, that shit is progressively, you know, dude, I'm, I'm kidding you. I, I was up to a case, a case a week uh, within, within a month. And then I had a case in the front fridge in the kitchen, and I had a back fridge on the back of their back porch area. We had like a little sitting room back there. And I had a I had another case in there, and then I had you know of course, uh, Fireball in the freezer, and you know it was just I was shot out of cannon. I was full blown, deep into my addiction, and and, uh, and at the time I was growing mushrooms <clears throat> on top of it. I was ordering these mushroom boxes from Amsterdam. And I had set up this, this killer, you know, you know, psilocybin mushroom farm in my house. And I, I mean, with caps that were like this big and, you know, stems as thick as your, as your thumb. And, and here I am, you know, growing mushrooms and taking mushrooms. And I'll tell you a fun, <clears throat> an interesting story. You know, um, during that time, we were, uh, I, made, I made this big thing, this big pitcher of mushroom tea. <clears throat> And I had kept it in my, my fridge, but it was in the back. And I and I wrote on it with you know permanent magic marker, you know Mickey's 
iced tea. So nobody else would drink it. And, uh, of course, you know, my wife has, has a glass of this tea. And it's like 10, 9 o'clock at night. And uh, she's like, yeah, wow, this tea tastes funny. <laughs> of course it does. And, uh, and I said, well, if you're going to have a glass, I'll have a glass too. And uh, so we wind up, uh, <laughs> we wind up having uh, a glass of this mushroom tea, right? So, and I'm not talking like a little glass. I'm talking like a fucking, you know, the pint size deal. And uh, so we wind up knocking down a, a pint of these things. So my wife was like, holy shit, this is, what's going on here? What is this? And we're watching Dexter. And I don't know if you've watched Dexter, but Dexter with a sober mind and Dexter on mushrooms are two different shows. They are just absolutely 100% two different shows. And uh, so we did, we proceeded to do this, and I'm just growing these mushrooms. We went and saw a, <laughs> we went and saw a fucking movie. What would we go see? I think it was Thor or something like that. And uh, my wife liked the mushrooms, you know, the tea. So we decided we were going to go see Thor. Uh, and I brought, I, I, you know, I just snuck a bag of mushrooms out with me. And I said, here, have some of these. She goes, you brought mushrooms. And I said, yeah, I did. What are you, stupid? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. And uh, she's like, all right, well, I'll have some with you. So <laughs> we're sitting out in the parking lot and knocking down a few mushrooms. And, uh, you know, doesn't take long. If you got, I had these B-plus strain. And these sons of bitches, I mean, it was like five minutes if you ate them and like 15 minutes if you drank it in the tea. And uh, within five minutes, you're just feeling this anaconda like wrap around your body, you know, and you you can feel it just starting to really grab a hold of you. And I'm like, holy fuck. So, uh, so, <laughs> so it's time to get out of the car and go into the theater. So we go into the theater to buy the tickets. And, of course, the instant paranoia sets in, bro. And I'm talking like that Twilight Zone shit. Like, you know, and if you think, like, everybody's looking at you, there's, they're zoomed in on you, only you. I'm like, why are they on mushrooms? You know? And so, you know, and I'm just sitting there. I'm just like, oh, my God, just please give me the fucking tickets. Please give me the fucking tickets. I just want, I just want to get into the theater. And I want to get a seat. And I just want to sit down. And uh, and I asked my wife, I was like, do you want anything? And he's like, no, because, you, you know, you don't want to have popcorn after uh, when you're in, in Mushroom Town. And uh, so there we are, you know, seeing the movie where we're getting ready to go in Thor. We did get something to drink. I think we got some iced teas or, or Cokes or, you know, whatever. So we, we were going to share it. So we go into the theater. We're get watching Thor. It was the very first Thor. And I remember midway through. Not even. I was probably a quarter of the way through the movie, and I was like, fuck, I'm going to piss. So I get up, and, you know, I've got to step over everybody. I, everybody's eyes look like they're popping out of their head, and they're just looking at you, you know, like like you're this alien with eight arms and, you know, two ball bags. And uh, so I, I walk out, and I step out in the hallway, and it looks like the hallway in The Shining. You know, it's like, you know, and all of a sudden there's this long hallway, and it looks like, it is forever and a day away, and I have no idea where the bathrooms are. So that means I am either going to walk around aimlessly looking like a total dolt, or I got to ask somebody where the restrooms are. And by this time, I am fully faced, like no composure, 
And if I probably had one word with somebody, I would probably either burst out in laughter or melt down and just like, because it, it was hitting hard, man. I was gripped. So, uh, so, so I, I see one guy and I, I see guys, like two guys walk into the bathroom. I'm like, oh, fuck. Now there's guys in the bathroom. And I'm just like, I just want an empty bathroom. I just want to go in there. I just want to, you know, and I just kind of like hang back and I watch some one guy comes out. And then so I'm like, one guy, I could deal with one guy, I can deal with one guy. So I walk in and they have this glazed tile. It's dark brown with like gray and black in it. And it looks like, it looks like it's fucking like a giant, like a wall waterfall. It's just like the whole fucking place is dripping with water. And I walk in this place and I'm just like, oh, wow. Like, I, like I didn't want to, I look down at the floor and the floor looks like water. Like everything look like I'm in this brown water box. It's just, well, there's water because everything just looks like it's just moving. And, uh, <laughs> and then. You know, I proceed to get in the stall and I'm like kind of like nestling myself in the corner of the stall. And, you know, because of the mushrooms, you know, you just there's major shrinkage. So you got to pull it out past the zipper, you know, and take a leak. And it's just it's just uncomfortable fucking total. And this feels like two hours. I mean, it feels like you are in this monolith of time continuum, you know, time stamp still. And it's just like a grain of sand falling through the hourglass one minute at a time. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I, I take this piss, and then I come out, and I'm like, Where to, was I was right or to the left? So I go to the left, and I find Thor. I find the theater. I sit down, and my wife's like, can you watch my purse? I got to go use the restroom. Where are the restrooms, by the way? And uh, I said, they're out in the hallway, right? To, you know, to left, right, left. I wasn't even sure. I'll find it, she says. <laughs> so uh, so she decides to go out there, and uh, it is a whole catastrophe. Like like 20 minutes of the movie went by, and I go, and she finally finds her way back, and I go, where the fuck were you? And she's like, I don't know what theater we were in. And so she's gripped, too. Here's the key, though. So we're, we sit, and there's like an hour left more of the movie, maybe 45 minutes left. So we watch the movie, you know, kind of hoping that we're, but we're just peeking so hard during this movie, and I'm just like, oh, my God, how are we going to drive home? She's like, I don't know. You're the one. You're driving. You got. You decided to bring the mushrooms. I'm like, oh, yeah. So, movie ends, and I'm just like, like let's just let some of these, let's just let some of these people walk out, you know, because I, I really don't want to get in the crowd with all these people because I'm just melting down. I mean, just the whole world is just, everything is just a haze. There's haze and there's like auras around everybody and there's everything is the carpet swirling and it's just a shit show. <laughs> and uh, however, however, let me tell you something on a positive note. If you thought you had suffered from depression, I will tell you this. Mushrooms really did help me with anxiety and depression, believe it or not. I'll get to that story in a minute. So we decide to sit there. So these people kind of file out, and there's like maybe 12 people left in the theater. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's get in with these 12. This way we're expecting everybody to have walked out of the theater and out to their cars, right? So we walk out. We get to the lobby, and it's just mobbed like you thought people were there to buy tickets to the fucking Beatles. Because we went to the early shows, and we should have probably went to the second or third show, late show. So 
I'm just like, I'm just trying to find my way through the sea. And then I'm trying to find my car. And then I find the car. And uh, so I'm like, okay, fucking, we just, we just got to make it home. Just got to make it home. And the car, as soon as I got in and I started up and all the lights come on on the dash and everything's just fucking digital. And it's just like little blue and red lights just popping all over the place. And they're not even popping. It's just, the, I don't know if it's the crystallization of the, your eyes over lubricating to keep your eyes wet. Or whatever, but just there's colors everywhere, and it, and all of a sudden it seemed like the hood of the car just grew like, like the size of a, a limousine, like the the length of a limousine. And I'm like, holy fuck! So you know, I, and I pro- I was probably driving 20 miles an hour all the way home. I have no idea. Well, anyway, we made it home, and uh, sat down, and we proceeded to watch more Dexter. <laughs> But, dude, mushrooms, let me tell you something. So, you know, I, I had had a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, in it, and uh, and I had had, I've always had it, you know, I had it in my early years. But when I was introduced to mushrooms, man, I'll tell you, they're, they're as, a, as a plant medicine, you know, and this is the difference, this is what you have to understand about, and I, you know, different strokes for different folks, you know, because there, beca- there came a time where I, w- I just used them <clears throat> as a plant medicine and wasn't for watching Netflix. And I would just take them and just go lay on a bed and just kind of align myself, center myself with the universe and whatever else was out there. And, uh, man, that shit was enlightening on a lot of levels, man, because I would just put on, like, some Enya music, some Enya or some sort of uh, New Age music, and you just kind of just tranquil out, man, and you just let the universe reveal to you what is there. Now, there was a time... I took a heroic dose of mushrooms. Uh, we were living in Cape Coral in Florida, and I was still growing mushrooms. This is in like 2016, 15, 16, 16. And I was still growing mushrooms. And uh, my wife had to go help her friend move that day. And I was like, well, fine, yeah, though, you know, I, while you're gone, you're going to be gone for this. Was, she left at like 11 o'clock in the morning. I was like, huh, of course a perfect time to pick some mushrooms so i picked some mushrooms and I, of course i didn't weigh them you know i picked up i picked them out of the dried ones i had and, and i put them in like a tupperware container about you know yay big and uh and i soaked them in lemon juice because they say that lemon juice <clears throat> really pulls the psilocybin out <clears throat> and enhances the experience so i soak them in lemon juice for like i don't know like 25 minutes and then i go over and they're good and slimy because I don't like the taste of mushrooms at all. And that lemon juice kind of kills all that nasty, like, I don't know, earth flavor. So I slurp these bitches back. Well, here, apparently, the, the amount I ate was, it was pretty heroic. It was about 10 grams. Now, I had, the most I had ever done was like maybe three and a half grams. You know, we'd already split with some friends, you know, to a buddy or and uh, I ate what what was the equivalent of ten grams, and uh, so I'm I'm in my house all by myself, and I'm trying to remember it all, and I'm sitting there, and I instantly, like this shit, this shit didn't wait five minutes. This shit was like, oh, you want us? We're here now. It was like it was like two minutes, and it was game on, and this, I started getting really hot. I started sweating, and, like, my shirt was just starting to fill with sweat. And I'm laying down, and I'm putting on Netflix, and I'm just like, I need to put on something happy because I could feel 
this real dark energy coming over me. And these ones were, these weren't B plus. These were something else. What were they? God damn it. I can't remember what. McKenna's? They might have been McKenna's, I think. Mesopotamic. I can't remember. So I'm eating these things. Or they're coming on. And and they're all, it's like I can hear voices. And this is weird. You may be thinking, oh, this guy's a schizo. But I could hear these motherfuckers. They were like talking to me. And uh, they're like, we're not a party mushroom. They're telling me, they're like, you're going to learn some very valuable lessons tonight with us. And uh, we'll do all the, we'll do all the explaining. And I was like, okay. And so I put on like this, this fucking like animals of the Amazon or birds of the Amazon or some shit and with music and birds and pretty colors. And I'm sitting there and dude, I'm not, I kid you not, the room was just divided itself in half. And this half of the room was green and this half of the room was red. And it was like, and there was like digital lines just throughout. And I was completely shot out of a cannon. So I'm starting to think that, man, this is really bad. I'm, I'm overheating big time. My shirt is soaking wet. And, uh, and I, just can't, I just can't even figure out what's going to happen next. So, you know, and I'm trying to get these things. I'm trying to puke these things out. And I'm in the bathroom. I'm like, I got to get them out. And they, they're not coming out. Dude, they're holding on for dear life in my stomach. They're, ah, we're, you're not going out. We're staying here. And uh, so I'm trying. I can't get them out. I can't get them out. And I'm like, fuck. So I call my buddy and I'm like, bro, can you come over here and hang out with me, man? I need you to sit me. Why? What happened? I ate 10 grams of mushrooms. Dude, I'm at a funeral memorial right now. I can't, I can't fucking be there. You know, a guy killed himself and I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, bro, but I don't, I think I'm going to die. She's like, you're not going to die, but you're not, not going to have fun. So then I call my wife and I'm like, can you? Baby, can you bring me home some ice? I'm like really burning up. She's like, what did you do? What did you do? And I was like, well, I kind of ate some mushrooms. And she's like, well, good. Then you're going to have to pay. I don't know what time I'll be home. And uh, and if I if I can remember to bring you some ice, I might. I'm like, oh, fuck. So everything just starts really. I'm just reeling out, man. And I'm just, these voices are more powerful. And there were, we are the doctors. They're telling me we're the doctors of your mind. We're the doctors. We're going to help. We're going to construct you and this, that, and the other. And so I'm going over to the toilet bowl and I'm just hanging there. Cause I just had this intense feeling. And, uh, so this, these mushrooms begin to tell me that I have this darkness in me, right? This evil darkness in me and that it is going to help me expel this is weird, crazy, sci-fi, shot out of a cannon, extraterrestrial, or maybe even supernatural shit that I'm about to share with you. So I'm in this, in this, in this bathroom, and I'm on my knees, and I'm hugging. I'm just, just totally gripping the bowl. And they're telling me, they're like, "Well, we want you to know that first of all, we're here to help you, and you have a darkness in you, and we're here to expel that darkness. That's the first order of business." And uh, the only way we're going to be able to do that is, is we're, it's going to take numerous sessions. And I hope you're prepared for this. And, and I said, I'm prepared. And I'm talk, like talking audibly, like I just said it to you. You know, I'm like, I'm prepared. And uh, so I keep telling this, these things, and they're like, okay, well, you know, we're, we're just give us a minute and, you know, one more minute. Okay. Are you ready? And I'm like, I'm ready. And I, and then they go, okay, here we go. And all of a sudden, I shit you not, and my stomach knots up and I start puking up these mushrooms, right? 
and they're and I'm and I'm heaving and I'm heaving. And I'm sweating and snot's pouring out of my nose and I'm just I'm pouring sweat. I'm dripping my shirt, my shorts, everything is dripping with sweat. And they're talking to me. They're like, "All right, well, you you did good on that. You did good on that. But this, we have to really go deep on this one. We really have to get this out. We're we're going to do our best. We need you to just hang in there with us. You know, we need you to be strong." And I'm like, I got all the strength you could get from me, man. I'm going to give you all the courage and hope and strength I got. So they're like, okay, are you ready? And I'm like, yeah, I'm ready. And they're like, boom. And, and it was like they turned the stomach. And there I am heaving up. Except this time, like this gray, I should you not, it's like some supernatural. It's this gray, really awful smelling gelatin, gelatinous. It wasn't the mushrooms. Starts coming out. And it's like hanging from my teeth, and I'm just trying to get it out. And maybe I was losing it. I don't think I was losing it because I remember seeing it in the shitter. I remember pulling it off my face. I remember flicking it in the toilet. And the toilet smelled like as if you took a manhole cover off, you know, like in, you know, Brooklyn, New York, and stuck your head in there with the cockroaches and just took a deep, hefty whiff. That's what it smelled like in there, in that ba- in that, in that, in the, in the bowl of the toilet. And so we go through this the whole time, and they were like, we want you to bathe yourself in prosperity. Take your sweat. And your snot and bathe yourself. I mean, I'm, I, so I'm rubbing my snot on my face and rubbing it all in. Like, this is some shot out shit, dude. Like, I, if I, I, I wish I could write a movie just about my drug experiences because it would be almost close, but not quite as, well, it could be just as entertaining as Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas because some of the shit I did was just, some of the stuff I've done over the course of my life is absolutely. Not to be tried at home, any of it. I would definitely not recommend it to anyone. And uh, so I'm going through it, man, and I'm just finished. So all of a sudden they go, these people. So the guy I had talked to had said that the cops thought that the girlfriend of this guy who killed himself, uh, or was it that she killed herself? It was that she killed herself. That's what it was. The guy said that the woman went in and killed herself, and they thought that, and the guy said he was out in his thing. Well, the fucking mushrooms start telling me, and I knew nothing about the memorial. I just knew that the lady had died, and it was a friend of my buddy's, uh, at the time's, uh, wife. And, uh, and they were broken up over it because this girl was really close with them. And, uh, and she, they th- said she would never kill herself. So, but they didn't tell me that until afterwards. So all of a sudden, these mushrooms were like, that lady, or she came to me. That's what it was. So she comes to me. She said, I didn't kill myself. And maybe this is fucking hallucination. Maybe this is third world shit. Or maybe that my third eye was so open that I could receive messages from voices from spirits or whatever. So she's like, I did not kill myself. He killed me. Uh, it was in the bedroom. And it was, and, and she went into great detail. So I'm like, how the fuck do I tell my buddy this? How, how do I tell him this story? So. I call him up privately and, uh, while I'm still going through. I go, dude, fucking, she didn't kill herself. The fucking guy killed her. And he's like, you're, you don't know what you're talking about, man. I mean, he, we, we think so, too. And, he, and, and I go, what? You think so, too? I said, dude, I just talked to her. She, she was coming to me through my mushroom. He goes, you're just fucking high. And I'm like, okay. But I swear to you, on my, on my family's life, that these were the experience I had. And she was there. She was there with me, and she was telling me that I did not kill myself. And maybe I'm a loose again. Maybe it's a hallucination. But I did hadn't had none of this information. So, 
I'm going through it, and anyway, the mushrooms are telling me, bathe yourself in prosperity, and yada, 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 and you know, in time, you'll, you'll start to be prosperous. Are you ready? We've got one more. We've, we need you to purge one more time. We've really got to get this thing off. And they explained it to me that this darkness was like an octopus inside of me with the tentacles, you know, just suction to the inside of me. So I'm puking and puking, and, and, and or you go, they asked me, if, are you ready? And all of a sudden, there's that gut wrench again. And I'm like, how the fuck? How do they know to turn the switch on like this? And there I am, I'm puking. And by this time, I feel like, I don't know if you've ever seen any of those black and white movies where they're wringing clothes through like a, two rolls like this, and then they're just, the clothes come out flat, and then all the water is out. Dude, that is what I, when you heard the, the term put through the ringer, I felt like I was put absolutely 100% wound out through the ringer. And this was for four fucking hours of stuff was going. It was just me in a bathroom. And, and, and the, 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 the room was still divided into color, green and red. And it was very weird. I don't know if I was just seeing red out of this eye and green out of this eye, but it was, it was shoddy. And then uh, they said, now you can relax. And I went and laid on the couch, and I felt so relieved. Like the anxiety was gone. That darkness was gone. And hence why I say that, you know, I, I, I champion plant medicines. I mean, now they're coming out with ketamine therapies that you can go to in Miami and get, you can get home ketamine. Ketamine delivered to your home. And, and I don't know how legal that is, but I guess it is legal if it's approved by a doctor of some sort. You know, and of course they legalized mushrooms in Portland, but we've seen how that goes since they've decriminalized all the fucking drugs out there. That place is becoming a, a zoo. And then, uh, and then I experienced ayahuasca in 2013 and ayahuasca is a completely different animal if you've never if you've never been down that road maybe you're curious about it you know maybe you're curious about what ayahuasca is i here's what i will tell you if you are curious there's a whole diet that comes along with the responsibility of doing ayahuasca so you have to first and foremost do the diet which is no salts no seasonings it's basically plant-based and protein-based with no flavor, you know, chicken, uh, greens of any flavor, you know, fruit, uh, but not acidic fruit. Because if you don't do this diet, you will purge and purge and purge throughout your ayahuasca trip or through your journey. I call it a journey. It's not a trip because, you know, you take acid to trip. You take shrooms. Well, you don't even t- I don't take shrooms to trip either. I, I, I don't take shrooms anymore, period. But uh, I, at, towards the end there, I never took them to trip. I took them for, for healing and medicine and insight. And, uh, but ayahuasca is, man, it is a whole nother fucking dimension. It is, like, it is like the third dimension is the best way I can explain it. It's like you're here and you're like laying on, you know, like me when I do this, I, I take the pillows off the couch and, you know, I lay on the floor. I get the equitos from Peru and, uh, and I listen to the shaman chants and uh, kind of journeys you through through your whole your whole thing and and uh my first journey the very first one i ever did was in uh 2013 it was like august of 2013 and here's the other thing your intentions when you're going to do ayahuasca when you're going to to do really if you're going for it's like 10 years of psychotherapy healing it, it, it truly is uh and anything you can read about it read about it any videos you can watch watch about them because there's good and bad you have to know that the with with lightness that with with the light and the joy and the energy that and the healing that comes there's also some very dark things that you may face in your in your ayahuasca journey and you know in mine i started out and she knew that i was coming there for like kind of like i was coming for the lsd experience and uh and my uh, ayahuasca mother ayahuasca knows 
She knows what your intentions are before you even go. As soon as you take the sip, she already knows where your mind's going, what your thing is, what why you're there. <clears throat> so I'm going down this kaleidoscope. Remember the kaleidoscope back in the when you were a kid and you turn you look in the tube and and it's changing. So I'm going down one of those. It's like a like a white light ball, and I'm going down. And here's another another thing about ayahuasca. It audibly, what well, you will hear someone audibly speak to you, and it will be Mother Ayahuasca that speaks to you. And it's from another dimension in another universe. And call me crazy, maybe you will. And that's fine. I understand that. But but you'll never understand ayahuasca <clears throat> until you understand what I'm saying. So all of a sudden I hear, "Are you ready?" It was like a whisper, are you ready? I said, I am. And, uh, but I didn't say like, I said, I am. And, uh, and boom, I'm shot out. And I come out of the end of the kaleidoscope and it's just light everywhere. And it's white, really, really bright white. And I'm over this gold city. And I'm kind of like floating down to like eye level of this gold city. Everything's gold, even the people. The people were gold. And there was people wearing like gold jackets with like white shirts. And everything was either gold or white, gold or white. And then... As I'm flying down the street, you know, again, at eye level, uh, I see this guy and he's got on a, a gold fedora, black Ray-Ban sunglasses, you know, the old like Blues Brother kind, and a white shirt, and he's holding up a sign, and he's got the gold jacket. Everything else is gold. He's gold. His skin's gold. And he's got on white gloves, <clears throat> and he's holding up a sign. <clears throat> and I didn't get a chance to see what was on the sign. It was very weird. But then what happens is I get the old... Now it's time to deal with your fears. And I was like, son of a bitch, here we go. So I was not prepared to, for this. So all of a sudden, and you, mind you, your eyes are closed and you're in this other dimension. And it's these really dark things going on. I've got ATF agents coming through the window and I'm seeing all this stuff. And my every muscle in my body is twitching, spasming. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm fucking dying. I'm fucking dying. I'm dying. I'm dying. And I hear this voice and it goes, quiet. You're not dying. Your ego is. And I, 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 I could, with the heart palpitation, I'm just, I'm sweating. My, uh, the twitching starts to die down. And the blackness, uh, all the people, the raging, the breaking, the, the guns, everything just kind of disappears. And I'm into this black digital landscape. And it's just all black. And in the distance, you know, way out there, there's this, there's this light. And I can see it. And I'm trying to get to that light. And, uh, so I'm going over this. I've seen, here's the thing about that is that you see colors I've never seen before. I can't even tell you this is like, there's this like purple and platinum mixed colors and just colors that I, there's no name for. Um, and you're floating over this digital landscape, you know, like the, like it was just something weird. It was like a, like a video game almost, but it's just this digital landscape of like graphed out. And there's a light in the back, and I'm going towards that. And then Mother Ayahuasca says, do you believe in God? I said, I do. And then she waves her hand in front of my face. And next thing I know, and I'm kidding you, I kid you not, I am in the, out in the universe floating amongst permeable gas clouds, the purp and purple and pink clouds, and I can see stars. And I look over to my right, and there's just this array of, of gods and, you know, it's like, it's like Buddha and then Muhammad and then Jesus and then some other God and some God for water and God for air and God for earth and God for, for plants and God for, there's God's for, she's like, she's like, well, there's not just one God, there's God's for everything. And, um, 
And that kind of just weird, really weirdly opened my, my, my eyes to everything. You know, there was so much insight, so much introspection. There was so much other stuff. It was so much deeper than just that. And I would love to go down the laundry list of stuff that, you know, that happened during that time. But it was, so then the next day, uh, I could tell you so, I could tell you so many stories about it. The next day, I, uh, I was starting to prep a bedroom for painting. And so I get it all prepped. This was on a Saturday because I had done ayahuasca that Friday night. And I had my wife sit me. Oh, that's right. My, my wife had done ayahuasca. Now, the interesting thing about my wife doing ayahuasca is my wife for 29 years, 26 years, something like that. Her mother was killed by a drunk driver. And she thought the last words to her mom were, I hate you. And, um, and then her mom was killed the next day. That's what she thought. This is something she captured and carried for 26 years until she got this closure through ayahuasca. And this is ayahuasca. Ayahuasca unlocks the shit that you have hidden in the back of your mind. So I, Mother Ayahuasca takes her back to the day before her mother was killed. And uh, she comes home from school. And she's reliving the whole thing. And she's telling me this. You know, and I'm sitting her in this room. And uh, she comes home from school and she says, Mom, you know, hey, you know, there's having a sleepover, this girl at school and blah, blah, blah. And she goes, can I do it? And her mom says, no. And she goes, why not? And has a big hissy fit with her mom. And, she, and that's when she said, well, I hate you. And she ran upstairs and slammed the door. Some other ayahuasca made her relive the next day. And the next day, she's coming home and it's in the wintertime and then she's walking through the snow and the neighbor happened to be outside. And... Um, had asked her, she said, hey, Shauna, come here. And um, invites her up, and she's talking to her, and she says, hey, would you be able to, to babysit uh, New Year's Eve for us? Now, her mother, uh, I'm not sure the, what her date was. I think it was December 28th. I'm not sure. She goes, can you watch, watch the kids for New Year's Eve? And she said, sure, let me ask my mom. So she goes in, she asks her mom, and her mom says, of course, honey. And she goes, I love you, Absolutely. And uh, she's sitting on her mom's lap, and she's just hugging her mom and telling her she loves her. And, and my wife is weeping, sitting on the couch. And she's, just, she's deep in her dimension with ayahuasca, with the other ayahuasca. And I said, what's, what's going on, baby? She's like, I'm hugging my mom. And I'm like, are you? I was like, wow. And uh, so she got closure. And she gave my wife so many other gifts through ayahuasca uh, for, uh, for self-healing and self-insight. So... You know, you'll hear people poo-poo that stuff, but I'm a huge believer in plant medicine. I'm a big champion of it. There's too many people going to it. There's too many people using it. Too many people healing from opiate addiction and other physical ailments, you know, from from using this stuff. There's, it's just, there's just too much coincidence that it's a bad thing, that it's not a bad thing. And uh, and they're healing. People are people want different resources for medicine because nobody wants to be on big pharma. Nobody wants to be on pills for the rest of their life. So if you can get insight, see, here's the thing: is ayahuasca isn't going to heal you. It's going to give you the insight and the tools to heal yourself. And then the rest is your job. That's a fact, Jack. Woo! I am wiped out, man. And I didn't even get to Chappelle. I'm going to tell you about Dave Chappelle real quick because this is a fucking awesome story. I'll kind of close this out. And, of course, I, I had some Baker Mayfield news. I'll get to Baker tomorrow. But Chappelle, 
This is how fucking cool Dave Chappelle is. I love, love, love Dave Chappelle. Uh, Chappelle just purchased a block of land in his town of Yellow Springs, Ohio. Uh, And he did it to stop a building firm from constructing $39 million development in his area. He said the new development would have potentially have reached right up to the border of Dave's property. uh, And that's according to the zoning plans. So he's kind of like a, just a big middle finger to, uh, you know, those these big land buyers that are putting up extraordinary costing homes. And Yellow Springs is a real hippie, artsy, cool town, man. Um, if you don't know anything about it, look it up, man. It's a fucking kick-ass town. It's a pretty cool town. You know, that's why Chappelle lives there. You know, he doesn't want the Hollywood bullshit. He doesn't want the fake. He doesn't want the bullshit, you know, the ego. You know, he already knows how great he is. He knows he is the most, he is the goat of all time for comedians. It's like they were going to name a hall at the university. I forget which university it was. God damn it. And I just, I just went over this the other day, just talking to somebody about it. And he said, when you're ready, when you're ready accept, to accept my brand of comedy, I'll be ready to, I'll be willing to allow you to use my name on the hall. Basically what he's saying is, you know, because not everybody gets all of his trans jokes and, you know, he, he, he's, he does it all with love, and people look at it as, as the, the, he's spiteful, he's hate. But, you know, we, we all have to learn to laugh at ourselves. You know, the fact of laughing at our stereotypes, you know, types. You know, I'm Irish. Of course the Irish, most of the 90% of the Irish are drunks. That's why God invented alcohol, so the Irish wouldn't take over the world. You know, or, you know, just all the stereotypes that come with Irish people. I, I laugh at them all because I got a sense of humor. You know, that's one thing that my dad told me before. He passed away. He says, no matter whatever happens in your life, Michael, just remember, don't ever lose your sense of humor. So, just remember that. Anyway, I'm Mickey the Kid. You can come and catch the show tomorrow. Uh, we'll be doing the 7 o'clock version tomorrow. So, make sure uh, you have your ass here. Or, no, we won't be doing 7 o'clock because I think it's bell to bell tomorrow. We'll see. We'll see what time. It may be the 9 o'clock variety again tomorrow. But uh, if nobody told you they love you today, Mickey the Kid loves you. Make sure you live on, love on, and rock on. Be kind, you know, because kindness is free. Just share it with everybody. Same with.